Fuck all those dulcet and calming tones of those administratum vox stations. This is the Chainsaw Rasp of Truth and Rebellion. 665.66 UHMR Camrat Radio. Coming directly to you after third shift from the champagne room here at Bexy's Flack and Jack. Listeners, let me remind you, no matter what Gabo says, there's absolutely no Slanesh shit allowed in the champagne room. Just when we thought they were gone for good. The Corridor 54 killer struck again, leaving a pair of skinned bodies in the atoratic ab stacks. In an odd twist, this time the killer left a message scrawled in the victim's blood, writing on the wall, we all pay the toll on a wall behind their hung bodies. Yummy. Administratum marshals have offered no comment. Oh no. So sexual. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I am your host, the Plasma Fiend Supreme Goblin King, joined today by my co host, the Mad Mauler of Mischief, Ali Markey. What it is, host? The Polar Bear, the Frost Hollow himself, Chuggerfly. What's up, all you uh, straw toting fools? <laughs> and the voice of madness lost in the echoing cacophony of reason, Kev. You've seen the movie. Okay, so you've seen the movie Evolution, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, wait, wait. wait. I know. 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 I I don't know why that reminded me of that, but I was like, that's oh, actually fuck. That's where I get my cacao from is from that movie. <laughs> Fucking Sean William Scott being an absolute weirdo. I, I got to wonder, so, do you think that was scripted or do you think he just went up there and did that? <laughs> I think he just went up there and did it. I think that was an improv. <laughs> oh, so fucking great. <sighs> But yeah, no, oh you're 100 percent on with with knowing exactly where that came from because that's where I got my cacao. That, 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 okay, it's like that. <laughs> that's where your headspace was. Perfect. Take it. Ooh, you take said cacophony, and then I immediately just started playing that in my head. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. Because uh, you know, I don't, I don't add or anything. <laughs> no, no, you totally don't add. Man, that was a good... Are you going to show your kid that one? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Oh, okay. you better show your kid it. that movie. That movie is... <laughs> oh, it's, it's even, amazing. like, semi-child friendly. <laughs> it, it is pretty child-friendly. I don't I mean, know. There, there's the scene where he's trying to get the... Uh, the sample and he gets sucked into the butthole. <laughs> but that's funny. That's not like they don't make it sexual. I'm sure some people watch that oh, scene God. in a sexual manner. It's way but, less sexual uh, than the Ace scene Ventura. was never filmed yes, in that true. way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like like out of movies from similar time periods, Ace Ventura is probably like the square of how offensive. 
evolution yeah. yes yes because it's not even times two it's literally squared on how offensive it is he holds up the shitty sketch of the fucking white pigeon and he goes as soon as i find this rare albino pigeon you're paying you're the first one to get paid and i'm like i'm like watching the scene and i'm like i don't remember it looking like a fucking kindergartner drew it <laughs> If I smell any animals in here, Ventura. Oh, so good. Uh, shit. So welcome to Under the Hive of Madness. This is episode 66, World Building Economies and Black Markets. World building can be a core component of the creative writing, lore, or game design process. From designing army lore to role-playing games, campaigns, to the background of a standalone game... Or getting into the hobby of writing short and long fiction, world building is a term used to organize a collection of writing tools and methodologies that can help move the process along. We covered other topics in creative writing in past episodes, but this will be our first full collective effort in introducing some of the basic steps of world building. But what is world building? It's when you build said worlds. But it's more than From just the building. It's you have Marky, to dropping the knowledge. Wow, <laughs> Marky just taking the the one word and the splitting it into a two word, word base. Yeah, it's fantastic world, job there. World root word world. Second word building. Now let's think about that. <laughs> Were you the kid that always got yelled at in class for using oh, yeah. the word in the definition of the word? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. He absolutely was. Like, define annoying. It's like, well, when you're annoying because you do annoying things. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, am I wrong? Yeah. No. no I can you're use it in a sentence. Right. You're right. <laughs> I can use Mark. it in a sentence too, Mark. You're, you're, you're Marky right on the money is there. currently being annoying. <laughs> well done. Right. Well done. <laughs> but world building is more to me. It's not just like, okay, this is the planet. This is its name. It's how does it work? You know, there's the, the what makes it believable. Right, right. World building to me is the whole uh, concept. Like you were saying, you know, you can come up with. Here's my guard. Why is my guard like this? Well, here's the planet they're from. This is why they're the way they are. Right. Why do their asses be thick? Because there's extra gravity on that planet. Exactly. That builds the strength in their legs, which gives them the nice tone. They're gluteous. The gluteus maximus is well formed on my planet because of the strong gravity, That's because what... of the dense core. <laughs> Of the planet. That, that's why uh, there's a lot of heavy weapon teams. Because <laughs> they can tow all those LAS cannons. Because they drop it like it's hot, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we know that Marquis League of Voton Army is going to have some interesting lore. <laughs> yeah, what was the, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Invincible. Was, was that meme from Invincible started with, with the dad where he's, where he's like squatting down and he has like his ass hanging out? You know what I'm talking about, Kevin? Don't know that meme. I don't know that meme either. I know, I I know the one where I he's looking the... at his wife and says, pets should not sit on the counter. They know better. What? Never... What movie what? is this? What? It's anime. Invincible. Invincible. Is it the same one? 
That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. With Omni Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Omni Man's like squatting down. He has his ass out. I don't know if the original meme remember. is with him though. Yeah. Yeah, but that's how my guard looked. Just put Omni Man squatting. Do like I want to type this in? Yeah, just look look that up. Yeah, that's it right there. That first one. Oh my god. Yeah, those are my guardsmen. That's it right there. Oh my god. Uh, I Got love that candy it. apple ass. Thick. Just just walk around with the last cannon. Last cannon right between their legs. Right? Yeah, it's Blast right. off. Right. They got that they extra ammo. Fire, fire it with a cheek. <laughs> gotta, gotta flex them cheeks to fire. It's yeah. like Sex Machine from fucking uh, what the hell? What the hell's the movie? Uh, uh, Dust Till Dawn. Dawn. Yeah, yeah Sex oh Machine. Love that guy. So you go, everybody. You can draw from horrible anime to get your ideas <laughs> for your armies and your worlds. Yep. See, I came up with that like right on the spot. Yeah, you know? I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> In most cases, I think that we can break down creative writing into two categories: character driven and world building. Character-driven experience focuses on how the characters interact with one another, with the world being a secondary consideration. World-building happens as a byproduct and more organically, serving the needs of the characters rather than the characters existing in the world. A great example of this would be the slasher horror genre. Placed in some generic setting that is largely interchangeable, Jason Voorhees is going to kill teenagers on his revenge quest against premarital sex, since this is what led to his own death when some camp counselors decided the, to slanish away their responsibilities for a few hours. The world yes. of the camp is relatively interchangeable as we see it throughout the movies. As an example, Jason eventually goes on a killing spree in New York and even in space. Friday the 13th, in and of itself, is actually just based on the success of another earlier film, Halloween further showing that the world of this genre exists as a backdrop, not as something that functions in the story. The story is about the teens versus the killer and how the final girl escapes. World building does organically develop in these stories, but again, it's as a template. A good way to identify these world templates is to see how much they rely on other existing tropes. So in the slasher movie genre, for example, do not partake in Slanesh ways and you'll yep, live and you'll live. There's rules, horror movie rules to survive, crime movie rules to survive, heist movie rules to survive. <laughs> Purity seal these... warning. The black dude dies first. <laughs> the, it's not. It's the minority dies first. OK, sometimes right, it's the curly right. headed white guy. And then you're like, oh, OK, I see what you did. There. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's when Hispanic the movies are in those. <laughs> and that's not see, so much a trope anymore. That's what I want. Leprechaun in the hood. You know, when you see Mexicans in a horror movie, is the beginning of uh, Tremors two. The guy that died on the on the on the post. That guy. <laughs> no, Tremors two. When oh, they're Tremors in Mexico. Two. Oh yeah, when they're in the, when they're when the entire in movie takes place there. <laughs> when everybody but trying, the like wait, three like, white people. Kevin? Where's Kevin going with this? <laughs> Dust until dawn. When, when literally, uh, uh, Dust till dawn. Yeah, yeah. It also the, takes place in Mexico. Yeah. yeah, but the first person that dies isn't like that. That's that the old the Who like eighties Soma Hyatt. The trope the eighties movie trope yeah. was that a minority always passed away first because they were always the minor actor, so they had the excuse to like cut get cut first. 
Yeah, they it, were, it they was were always the... a business decision. It literally had yeah. nothing to do with their like character. It was always like, oh, they're the they're the actor that nobody cares about, so kill them first. No, nobody knows who this is yet. They haven't been in that much stuff. We can get rid of them first. We That's can kill racist. them off, and nobody's going to be mad that like their favorite which is, actor got killed. Which is actually one of the reasons. It's it, it, funny that you say that. Both of you guys, that's racist and the whole point that Kevin brings up. Because that's one of the things that um, Wes Craven challenged with Scream. Johnny Depp. Because the first person who dies in Scream is Drew Barrymore. Barrymore. The person who was Ah. in every single trailer and hinted at being the final girl was Drew Barrymore. And they completely played that as a switch to establish that Scream was essentially deconstructing the the conventions of a horror, horror movie. movies yeah. yeah that's really it's cool. self-aware know it knows oh, yeah. that there's tropes and it's, it's gonna break remember. them yeah, yeah 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 scream it's the first scream is a pretty interesting movie i i kind of want to rewatch all of them but at the same time i remember some of them being god awful so i kind of don't want to there's a new one coming out that's what i want to watch all of them i want to i want to get through all five so i'm i'm set for six but but i mean there, there's definitely a lot of other examples of the character Johnny driven. Depp. Johnny Gipp gets killed in Friday the 13th. Right, right. But the of the character, yeah, he does. Uh, no, yeah. no, no. Johnny Depp gets killed in the, the Friday the 13th. Fir- first Nightmare. Elmer. On Elm Street. And Night- yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep. The way they filmed that scene is fucking crazy. He, the room he rotated. Was, he was already the name out of all of them. He was the biggest one out of all those, all those kids. Yep. But uh, there, I mean, there are definitely other stories that do the same thing uh by and large it's not one of my favorite stories um and and the world building drives me absolutely fucking up a wall but i know it's really popular so one of the very big character driven examples that exists right now is um hot uh, not hogwarts harry potter <laughs> harry potter is a very character driven story most of the stuff that happens in the world serves the purpose of the characters which is why if you actually focus on a lot of the world building elements, they fall apart really fast. Um, yeah, we, some of it doesn't stick together very well. Some of it is yeah. put together pretty well, but we, we, there uh, are big holes. We famously, yeah, we famously at, in an earlier episode bitched about the fact, like, why would you do anything ever if you have teleportation technology? Why wouldn't you just always teleport? There's oh, no reason. Oh, There's man. no reason to travel any other way in that fucking universe. But people so, still walk and drive so actually, and use flying actually, cars. And uh, it's actually really funny. Um, oh, so in nuts. in the the game in the the Hogwarts game that came out just recently, um, there's a fast travel system, and it's literally the flu powder, like what it in the show where they just throw the powder into the fucking chimney and teleport. That's their teleportation stuff. Right. Except that you don't actually have to walk up to a chimney to use it. You can just use it from anywhere in the world. And I'm like, man, you guys didn't even like get that right. <laughs> I don't know. But, that doesn't that doesn't bug me though, because that makes as much sense as like you can turn anything into a fucking teleportation device. Right. Like the like if you need a hill. chimney to teleport, right? then you might as well or just a have a spell that turns something into a chimney, you know, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or D and D rules it and just have a fucking teleport spell, right? Anyway, um, but but you're right. D- no, there are certain things like that where, like, okay, so why is there a train to Hogwarts when everybody can just teleport? Teleport. I, and but some then of, they went through the well. How did they build the a train? Knowing your classmates. Yeah, 
But what's right but because what's also it's a character-driven is, story. It's not a yeah. world-driven yeah. story. So and there then, is no, there is no reason to build the world to function when you can just use parts of the world to drive the characters forward. Right. Like uh, essentially. And th- the same thing happens with um, Pan Am in uh, the hunger games. That world is another one where a lot of the like inner workings. If you, if you spend a lot of time thinking about them, they don't really work that well. I, the opposite yeah. would be maze runner maze runners world actually horrifyingly function. functions and yep. not in a good way. Maze Runner is a much darker story. If it's if Maze so Runner dark. had been written for like by Stephen King for like you know oh, adults, oh, it would have been quotes, so terrible, really dark. And and like it's still super dark. It, it's a it, oh, it is and dark, and it, but it's yeah. dark for teens instead of dark for you know yeah adults. Bitter, with creepy bitter whiskey drinking, <laughs> right. bitter wicked People who whiskey hate their drinking life already. Yeah. <laughs> In contrast to this, world building focuses more on making sure the world functions regardless of the involvement of any specific characters. The systems of the world are fleshed out so the story can work regardless of who those characters are. Character is still important, but it doesn't dictate the storyline. In this case, multiple storylines can happen in tandem with the actions of characters in one place impacting the world, which then impact the other group of characters somewhere else in the storyline. Or there might be a generational story being told, or you might be telling stories in isolation, allowing for multiple authors, players, or designers to utilize the world to their own ends. It's a lot like a sandbox video game. The world generally moves on without, with what it's doing. Everything in a sandbox video game continues. The processes that run the AI continue, regardless of how you choose to approach the story. Most people will still experience the same general events, but the story that each player tells is going to be different and tailored to their play style. Yep. It's like everybody that used to grind, uh, what's that one? World of Warcraft. Yep. You know, it's, it's the same world for everybody, but, but I everybody can gets a different experience out of it. Yep. Yep. I forget if it's that one or what's the other one? Elder Scrolls? RuneScape. Or like me, who's like, Ru- 27 hours into the witcher three and level 12 because <laughs> i literally go off and look at and poke everything rather well, than what, what, doing what, I mean, what i'm supposed to do guilty. yeah what i mean by everybody's experience is different <laughs> one like you were saying everybody's placed out and thought process and i can remember being in a place it's somebody on a server i don't remember if it was warcraft or, or elden scrolls this is like the original ones laughing because some dude was playing a goblin or a troll and he was in the wrong place and he was hiding under a bridge his character for hours because he couldn't escape where he was because everybody wanted to kill him that sounds so like he, a world of warcraft oh uh, yeah that's, so imagine that's being world that of warcraft. dude making that choice. i know ex- i know exactly what happened is he ended up in uh ratchet or booty bay what, there's certain areas names where... of places yeah. Yeah. Ratchet, ratchet and booty, and booty bay? bay yeah can we yeah, go to booty both... bay they're Those both like a boat that goes between the two. Yeah, they're both pirate. Havens. They're both like pirate it's booty, towns. Booty Bay, as in I'm going to get that booty, pirate not booty. as in shake, 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 shake your booty. Did you yeah, ever watch the Goblin Girl dance? She another. definitely shakes her ass. Yeah, ratchet hose and booty <laughs> bay. Oh, she, she dances like a ratchet, ratchet little hoe. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, those names are pretty but, interesting. But, um... 
yeah so in in world of warcraft there are neutral like non-horde or alliance aligned villages to help flesh out some of the world building there's yeah. zones I'm, too. I'm relating it to world building and they are yeah. but they're pvp zones like yeah. these are areas where if you accidentally wander into this zone and you're a little bit low level and you're like hmm what's over here and exploring and then suddenly it's like Oh, I'm on the couch surrounded by all the guys now. <laughs> so yep. there was a there was a wow. I'd look yep. up that meme, but that's a little too. <laughs> we all know oh. that meme. If you don't know that so, meme, then I'm, I'm sorry. Do not look it up. Don't look it up. Yeah. <laughs> then, so there was a, <laughs> yeah. You're probably too young to know. All of a sudden, you're a little blonde girl sitting on a couch. Yep. This is a. This is an adult-rated <gasps> podcast for a reason. <laughs> yep. No shame. So I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen that video. <laughs> there was an exploit. Wow. There was an exploit, I want to say, in vanilla before patch two or patch three, where as the horde, you could kite stitches, the abomination, from... Oh, Fuck, what yeah. was that zone? What was yeah, that yeah, wood zone yeah. called? I, I know what you're talking Whisper, about. You could, Whisper wood? But you could um, kite him into you storm. Could kite him, yeah, you could kite him from an area that the horde could not be like PvP'd in over to a low-level alliance area. If you did it right, you could kite him all the way into the alliance city. Like and storm? it would just murder people because it's a yeah, max-level just... like city guard, but it's supposed to be like a heroic, like named character city guard. Yeah. So like they, they're not supposed and he to would ever only... get killed. And he would only spawn every once in a while. He was like for a quest. Um, and I remember doing it once or twice, and then having to do the quest, and it was being exploited so much that I could never find him, and getting really mad. <laughs> oh, because he was his thing was in the game, so it wouldn't spawn another one. Yep, but it, yeah, it was being abused for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, see, and that's why world spawn bosses have those issues. And this yep. is why when you're world building, that's a choice you have to make. Do you do you share the world with all of your characters, or do you instance it and make it so that some of the books don't interact with the other books, like in Warhammer, where they can just have a thousand authors writing Warhammer and they don't necessarily have to interact. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, if the universe is big enough, you don't have to worry about it. So Warhammer 40k is an example of world building. The world is important to provide the function of the story. Players are not expected to use named characters in rigid scenarios that parallel pre-written storylines. Even when they do choose to use a hero, they are free to act within the rules of the universe. It's a combination of using the game mechanics and the lore-based systems that act a little bit more like guidelines. Now, they're not rules, they're guidelines. They're a little you know. more like guidelines. Yeah. You don't <laughs> have to use Reboot Gilliman on table the way that he would act as an ultramarine if you're playing your own custom chapter and you painted him to match your custom cha chapter and you changed his name. You can use the game mechanics and the model and you can tell your own story. And that's a function of the way the games work. In Warhammer 40K, the Imperium of Man itself functions as a mix of its long and turbulent history, the bureaucracy that keeps it running, and the failing technology that it needs to continue existing. The history contains character-driven narratives, to be sure, things such as the Horus Heresy and the Emperor's Entombment on the Golden Throne being 
huge pieces of character-driven narrative that exist, but the character narrative informs the world as it exists as most people now interact with it, rather than the character narrative being the only part of the story. Most people, even who play the Horus Heresy game or tell stories in the Horus Heresy era, don't tell stories about the big characters that are interacting. They tell stories that take place further out. Because again, there's no need for you to be telling stories about those big characters because those stories already exist. And those stories are used as a benchmark to further the world building. Arguably, the function of 40K's bureaucracy and failing technology have much more direct impact on the lives of any story taking place inside the universe. Both Bob the Administratum Scribe and Maxine the Underhive Ganger are formed by the events of the heresy, but Horus and the Emperor don't, aren't needed in their personal stories. However, the Administratum losing paperwork or a bunch of crates going missing from a hab stack that needs them are things that are affected by either the bureaucracy failing or the technology failing that drive the lives of those characters. In contrast, Jason Voorhees is needed for Friday the 13th to exist. To look at it another way, you could very easily take the events of Friday the 13th, Halloween, Scream, or Texas Chainsaw Massacre out of their existing setting and drop them into the Warhammer 40k universe, change absolutely nothing, and they still function perfectly as stories. You wouldn't need to change a damn thing. Jason Voorhees could run around the hab murdering people. Leatherface could exist on a death world off on his own with the Firefly and not the Firefly family. That's um, that's at the House of the Thousand Corpses. But again, you could yeah. take those yeah. stories in their exact existing and just place them somewhere in the Warhammer 40k universe and nothing would change. However, the concept of introducing the warp or interstellar travel and then attempting to shoehorn them into one of those settings completely changes them. Imagine if Laurie Strode was suddenly a psyker. How would Michael even stand a chance against her? Moving the story along would then require all sorts of character retcons and rewrites. Laurie would have to be, you know, Laurie is a psyker. Okay, well then Michael's a stronger psyker, or Michael's a chaos demon, and then there's all this other shit that has to happen in the Halloween story. Yeah, but that'd be that, there. You oh, go. Yeah. There would well, have to be and, all of these changes for this story to function if you immediate if you introduced any setting element from 40k in, and that, that's one of the ways that you can tell a character driven from a world built setting. And that actually that same kind of logic about like oh how do we change like those things how do they equate how do they balance out between the two like universes are kind of one of those fun topics that I like to to think about in those like oh this universe versus that universe you know we all see that thread get posted six times a day on on the social medias oh this unit star trek can fight off to for warhammer blah 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 for whatever reasons but it's it's always lacking whatever cross context that would is actually the, yeah. make the worlds compatible or, or like and the, the, the good one is star different Wars. worlds but and the, yeah and the reason it's difficult to take the stormtroopers out of Star Wars and put them in the 40k universe and then make the stormtroopers and the space marines fight each other to find a winner is because the stormtroopers are a function of the world building and space marines are a function of the world building. They right. are not characters, they are functions of the world. Exactly. 
And so, like, you have to then make these, like, really weird leaps and bounds. You're like, okay, well, our Jedi Stormtroopers are guardsmen. Well, yeah, absolutely. Stormtroopers (laughs) are guardsmen. But, like, the main one that I always end up coming to the conclusion is that you have to treat, like, casters all as the same. Like, things like that. You have to be able to, like, draw these clear-cut, like, world, like, analogs. Otherwise, you can't, like, consider anything of those. uh, Like, you can't balance those out. So it's kind of like basically Darth 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 Vader. If you put him in the 40k universe, would be an the psychic equivalent of the Emperor. I mean, it, he no, would just, I, he'd be more. It just pretty, doesn't. He'd be pretty close when you read the novels and stuff. Okay, you're it'd talking about like, like level of force power kind of thing. Yeah, he would yeah, basically yeah. be a uh, an alpha psyker, whatever yeah, he'd the highest be an alpha class psyker uh, for sure. Alpha plus. But and then you have to think about okay, well then, but psychers in well Jedi aren't necessarily trained to fight off demons. But then you're like, okay, well, but that's the whole like, oh, peace. And, that's the whole you know, weird thing that happens with it. But and that's why because Jedi demons, are not about emotion because it, demons are powered <laughs> off emotion. Turns out Jedi <laughs> are psychers, and nobody wanted to admit it from the get go. <laughs> because demons, and I'm winking a lot right now because demons and great old ancient evil things don't exist in the star wars they totally do they totally do and <laughs> and jedi yeah, can actually wars, get yeah. possessed and all kind it's so it's actually yeah. really funny that there are ways to cross all of this stuff together and it's that's yeah. that's they're both functional worlds like those are worlds that exist outside of the characters as well but the reason that those like is master chief more powerful than a space marine is a stormtrooper is powerful oh yeah the reason that different. a lot of those <laughs> A lot of the reason that a lot of those break down is at the end of the day that it, the the function that a stormtrooper serves in the Star Wars universe is it, it aside from the heroes it is the scariest most well trained best equipped killing machine that exists a space marine aside from special heroes is the scariest most well equipped killing machine that exists so a stormtrooper angels though. They're that doesn't, good guys. That doesn't matter. The, the, the function of Master Chief, the function yeah. of a Stormtrooper, and the function of a Space Marine is to be the scariest the thing, thing in the universe that exists. And the fact that their power levels aren't equivalent when you compare universe to universe is because the universe's world building doesn't, doesn't need them to be. Yeah. There's no yeah. reason to have Master Chief on the same power level as a space marine because master chief's world built universe doesn't require, doesn't require that it. to it's exist. lower tech the the eight, the covenant are very powerful they have high tech but also a 762 still ends their day just fine so it's hmm. it's all about you know proper yeah. mesh within its own world it has to make sense it's one of the reasons that those that those videos and those thought processes are so provoking is because you're comparing a world build to a world build as to where, as we've mentioned in past um, creative writing exercises, if you want to tell a really cool heist story in the Warhammer 40 K universe, and you're really familiar with the oceans 11 storyline, you can take the ocean 11 storyline, move it into the Warhammer 40 K universe, make some tweaks, make it your own. And it works. It's a pleasure world. It's run by a rogue trader cartel. It's another rogue trader going in to steal money. Like it's so yeah. easy to transition it into a bigger universe. It's harder to scale down into a yeah. smaller universe. Because the Ocean's 11 story is the story of Danny Ocean and his crew. It's not the story of 
Vegas, Vegas in the 1990s. Right. It's a heist. <laughs> right. It's a heist. Yeah. And you could almost do that with anything. Like, I, you could Jurassic I'm Park. all in. Like, yeah. You could easily make Jurassic Park in uh, 40K. Yeah, Jurassic, Jurassic Park is another one of those, like, the world building serves. The world building. Jurassic in Park's example, kind of in the middle. It's, yeah, it's the like, world building it's like, serves to facilitate the story, yeah. but also like they built the story into the world in a way. And, but then as soon as like and they're and they're dealing with this now with all the Jurassic World stuff, it falls apart as you scale it because like because there's certain you know, gaps, like just because big we're on, gaps. Well, we're on well, the, the like 15th tra- director in the hunt for yeah, more money. In Jura- Jurassic World, <laughs> right. like you bring you into 40K, it's again. It's, it's a death world. I'm gonna make a death world. I'm gonna make a pleasure world that it a started zoo. out as a pleasure world that's a zoo, and then it got out of hand, and, and then got all out of a sudden hand. now yep. everybody's stuck here because they <laughs> nah, ate dude, the spaceport. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I gotta tell you guys right now. At some point in the 40k universe, Trazen said, "I spared no expense," and as I he was creating, you he as he that. was creating tyranids out of mosquito <laughs> DNA, he found. Uh, there you go. <laughs> well, if tra- I make tra- them all female, they can't breed. <laughs> Trazen is John Hammond. It's canon. <laughs> <laughs> now I want Trazen in the little fucking white Havana outfit <laughs> with the little the hat and the fucking like, I just want Hawaiian somebody, shirt. <laughs> I want somebody to do the like motion comic thing that was super big as like extras on DVDs and Blu-rays for years. Do that with like Trazen art, and the, but then like put him in on top of John Hammond throughout the first Jurassic Park film. Welcome. Welcome to Tyranno World. (laughs) Welcome to Tyranno Park. Oh, yes, we we spared no expense. We didn't pay Imhotep enough. (laughs) And because Imhotep was bitter about how little he was being paid, he hacked into the system and let the Tyranids out of their portion of the galaxy. Now everybody's fucked. And what's great is in the background of everything, there will be like two spiders and scarabs welding everything back together. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that That's that true. was always the funny thing about the world building oh in God. Jurassic Park is that everything is so rushed because they're just pulling it out of their ass as they go along. Yeah. Because they were never yeah. prepared for this. <laughs> because the first, you know, Jurassic Park is based on is based on a novel. Um oh, yeah. and the first and the first three movies borrow elements from different parts of the novel. There was never, you know, that the expanded. St- it's not based on anything. It's it's oh, yeah. it's I'm based, sure it's based on the existing point. movies. Yeah, but yeah, like all through, uh, was it number two? What is it? Half the movie they're welding shit together. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> the whole scene where they're waiting for the boat to get back to San Diego, it's literally just them welding all the shit together because they didn't have it ready in time. Like guys, it takes a boat a long time to get here. You should have built this thing ahead of time. <laughs> Y'all should have known, okay? Y'all should have. You had this plan. You should have known. Right? Like, who did, who QA'd this plan? Nobody. <laughs> nobody. Was, nobody. Nobody wait, wait, QA'd wait, wait, no. I take that back. A board QA'd it. <laughs> there was no engineer. That... <laughs> it was a board. <laughs> the board was like, how, what's the risk That's... factor? High? That's... What's the reward factor? 
really, really Tires. high. That's, that's, that's <laughs> back okay. to the bureaucracy of the Imperium. Right. <laughs> they sent the wrong scribe to inspect it. It wasn't even a matter about the wrong scribe. It was just literally risk assessment. All the risk assessment failed. <laughs> so to bring it back, as seen in the fiction of the Black Library, Warhammer 40K is a foundation for world building that can serve many different stories. The Eisenhorn novels and the Gaunt's Ghost novels exist in the same universe, and they were written by the same author. Both rely on the rules of the same world to function while remaining very different and diverse on their own. And as much as it might pain us, because... Kevin and I love some of these named characters. They aren't actually that important. If Eisenhorn isn't the one who dealt with those issues, somebody else somebody in the position eventually would have. If Gaunt's ghosts didn't deal, another guard regiment would have had to deal with that problem. And that's <laughs> the difference. In general, a character-driven story, the necessities and actions of the character dictate the needs and changes that are happening in the world. In a world-building-driven story, the necessities of the character and their actions are at the whim of the world, and in a lot of cases, might not even matter. The planet doesn't care because it's going to continue moving. You know, there's a line it's in kind I want to like say prophecy versus uh, like circumstance. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Like like um, <laughs> I don't believe in all of that. High tech space mumbo jumbo. My life is dictated by a bunch of what does he say? I don't tricks I don't, and nonsense no, <laughs> or whatever it, it's, Solo says. It's, um, ancient religions and hokey weapons oh, yeah. are no match for a what, good yeah. blaster at your side. That's another good one. Yeah. But, like or the or the the line oh, in oh, either it, the first or no, second I've, episode. I've been of, a lot of places and I haven't I haven't seen no magical nonsense holding everything together. <laughs> yeah, it's just a bunch of tricks and nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Or the line from Firefly where the uh, badger, the gangster, says, or, or where Mal says to the gangster, "The world's the wheel's always spinning," and his response reply is that only matters if you live on the edge the idea that like the oh, world yeah. cares about you doesn't matter that much depending on where you are you know if you're if amos your and life... the expanse has a similar line yeah it was, it was getting caught up in the churn yes yeah yeah that's um you remember the line i'm that's talking in about. his own yeah in his like backstory section but it, that whole idea that the world doesn't care that you exist there are a lot of variations of the two methods that exist. As we mentioned, Jurassic Park kind of falls somewhere in between. Brandon Sanderson has his own hybrid method in which he looks at both sides and develops them in concert. Uh, if you guys don't know, Brandon Sanderson is a really, really good epic fantasy novelist. In the case of video games, both on, or in the case of games, excuse me, both in video and tabletop, the game mechanics themselves oftentimes are the most important part and the development of the characters of the world are actually shaped to fit the mechanics. And as to where that mm -hmm. probably happened at the beginning of 40K, that's not the case anymore. Famously, as the last example, Tolkien created languages as an exercise in teaching and at that point then developed a world and story around the languages. Tolkien didn't set out to write an epic fantasy series. Tolkien set out to design languages to look at how languages developed. That was his business. That's what he was trying to do. So with all of that in mind, let's actually get into the business of world building. So world building is a set of tools or methodologies which can be applied to the creation of a setting. 
any world, ours is the best example that we currently have, is a complex and overlapping series of interactions between many different systems. Be these natural systems or intelligently designed systems, they each affect one another and generally work toward coming to an equilibrium or balance, especially if they're given a long enough timeline. Looking at deconstructing and then rebuilding these systems is one of the basics of world building. Each world you create, be it a planet for your army, a space hulk needed for your next campaign, or a setting for a role-playing game, will have some basic systems behind how they function. And that's what we mean by world building. We don't necessarily mean making an entire planet. It could be as simple as making a continent that your D&D game is going to run on. While a lot of world building starts with big decisions like what's the setting, science fiction, modern, alternate history, fantasy, horror, or does it have a hard or soft magic system? Personally, I think a lot of those questions come a little bit later on after the idea of the world itself already exists. That's why I like to start with what I consider to be the most basic rule system we have, the economy. Yep. Barter town. A barter town. <laughs> As you were just going into that kind of that whole that little last section there, I was like, this is it's like exactly what me and my friends used to do when we would start like a new Lego session. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when mm-hmm. you and your buddies dump the big you bin of Legos, the economy, yeah. whatever, whatever the rules are, you're like, OK, so these these are the rules. This is what makes you fly. These are what gives you power for whatever you're building. This right. is what you're this is what we're mining or whatever, you know, causes, you know, whatever you lay out the reasons for whatever you're building to exist, because otherwise right. you could just stack shit together without meaning and it doesn't it literally is meaningless. So you're creating a meaning for all the different pieces that you that you're putting on your shit. Yeah. So as an abstract, an economy is a system of interrelated production and consumption activities that ultimately determine the allocation of given resources, kind of like how Kevin just described with different blocks in Lego. The production and consumption of goods and services as a whole fulfill the needs of those living and operating within this system. To be clear, economies can be extremely complex often deeply layered and interconnected like mazes. However, just like how a maze is simply a confusion of straight and basic hallways, the basic structure of an economy is simple. A group has a resource but is lacking in another resource. In order to exist, the group needs to acquire the resource which they are missing. To deconstruct this further to fit pretty much any need we might have, let's look at it in two really basic definitions. An animal has the energy it got from food, but lacks its next meal. So it needs to trade the energy that it already has to hunt for more food. As another example, a farmer has an abundance of stone, but lacks the tools needed to plant their field. So they need to trade their stone to acquire the tools they need to use. These interactions can then be expanded and layered to create basic interactions between groups, as I mentioned at the beginning. I started off using group A needs, group B needs. A group of wolves has a hunting ground. They need to trade their time to maintain their territorial border. Different wolves may trade their resource, which is time, in order to protect the territory as a whole. So not all of the wolves are going to be protecting the territory at the same time. Wolves are going to be sleeping, wolves are going to be hunting, wolves are going to be drinking water. 
A group of farmers, on the other hand, has land they tend. But the local wolves' territory has started to threaten their livestock, so they need to trade their time to act as lookouts to protect the group of farmers at large. And now you have conflict because of economy. Because of economy, exactly. Which is essentially, there's, there's really like two main causes, economic <laughs> and religious. It all, it all comes down to three things, money, sex, and or food. politics. <laughs> well, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so the concept. Well, welcome to 40K. <laughs> right. So the concept of minted or printed money isn't part of this equation yet. That's because the basics of most economical interactions is actually bartering. Bartering is just trading. Energy is traded to hunt. Rocks are traded for tools. Train, uh, time is traded for protection. Take it back to the first murder. They didn't even have money. He was just jealous because the dude had more sheep. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, more shit than I did. Literally, the first well, killing like was because of economy. That dude had yep. more yeah, shit than town. I did, so I'm going to kill him. <laughs> but back to Barter Town. Who controls Barter Town? Who runs Barter Town? Yeah. Me yep, on exactly what it is. Chuck's shoulders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to get a little bit deeper into bartering, Farmer A might grow and refine wheat into bread. They then trade with Farmer B, who grows vegetables. Both farmers keep what they need, bartering away their excess. In the same way, some wolves focus on protecting their clean water source while others hunt for deer, ensuring that both of these needs are covered through bartering their time and energy. So the barter doesn't have to be good for good. The barter can be service for good, is, is essentially the right. way to Goods look at and it. or services for goods and or services of one kind or another. <laughs> yep. Minted and printed money fills the role of bartering on a much larger scale. Money is basically a promise of trade in the future. As an example, I have 25 guardsmen. Kevin wants 25 guardsmen. So I trade my 25 guardsmen for Kevin's money. Kevin's money then acts as a promise or an IOU that I can trade to somebody else for 25 Eldar troops. It's a trade promise then gets traded on and on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It carries... The promise of trade forward. I think I think Kevin comes on the upside on that trade. <laughs> That's something that actually happened, yeah. which is why I brought it yeah. up. Kevin bought a bunch of my uh, my my guardsmen. Guardsmen. I did not buy Eldar with them. I already own the Eldar, but I did buy models with that money. <laughs> yep. I think what you bought. Um, what did you buy? You t- you told me what it was. I but I can't remember. I but then you you did something with it and posted a picture with it. I remember. Yeah, I want to say it was one of my orcs because I was building my custom mech boys. Yeah, it was your mech boys. It was your custom mech yeah. boys with the crazy cool like plastic hard armor. Yeah, yeah, those are super fun to make. Those those guys look badass. I thought those guys were really cool. One day they'll be usable again, and I'll paint them. <laughs> Wait, did they <laughs> rather cut than mech leaving boys? them prime? Or are they, they just really cut bad? them? But. There's just there's there's only one way to play orcs right now. It's not the way I like playing orcs. Oh, is it um the sad super violin noises? Goff, goff, shooty blaster, nasty list, nasty just, list. It's just me being sad violin noises. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be fair, I feel like guard is turning into that right now, also. But 
Yeah, it, it cycles as as additions come out and rules change. Everybody kind of cycles. I'm trying to find ways to play. Style. I'm trying to find ways to play guard that don't involve the one list style. Yeah, but at exactly. the same at the same time, I did manage to make it fluffy. I go. did. I managed to. I haven't actually read the codex, so I'm not really sure if it'll be good or not. But I made it. I made a list out of the new stuff, and I'm like, okay. This isn't ter. This doesn't seem terrible. I have no idea, but, but the only we'll way to find out is to play a couple games. Yeah, you'll it, find out. You'll I'll find, find out, out when you play, play Chuck. <laughs> uh, that's actually something we never talked about for the the Crusade. Was uh, are we running with the new Guard Codex or or are we going to keep it with the old one? But I would I think we're running. One. I think we're running. I haven't gotten it yet. Of, <laughs> I think we're running Arcs of Omen. And Sounds like you better out. get it. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll we'll figure it out. Yeah. All right. To use this system as a basic for world building, we expand on the basic interaction of the groups we've already defined. We've established the interactions within a pack of wolves, and we've established the interactions within a group of farmers. We have also described a basic conflict, as Kevin pointed out, between these two groups. Let's make a few simple choices on the environment, since up to this point, it doesn't really matter. In fact, even the concept of wolf and farmer are pretty interchangeable. I could have just as easily started with enslavers and Tau. Farmer only implies humans because of the assumption we all make through our shared experience. Since I speak Americanized English, it's probably safe to assume that most people conjured an image of European settlers in the New England colonies as I spoke about these things. But, again, could have been enslavers and Tau, could have been Grot orcs could have been or i guess squig and orcs would have been a better way to put it it could have been any other thing we wanted to since this is warhammer 40k let's add some of those trappings in a recent episode i laid out a planet in the carcosan sector that is a version of germany's black forest but is an entire death world we'll call this planet halvik's world after the clan name of the first settlers the name isn't super important at this point in the process and can really be anything, but that actually came to mind pretty quickly, so I'm running with it. Lacking a primate species that developed into an apex predator, we have large bipedal wolves that evolved in their place, developing a rudimentary thumb and extremely basic tool use. They're more a fauna threat than a Xenos threat because they lack any level of development past nomadic hunter-gatherers. We'll also assume that their communication is bestial. And by we, I mean the Imperium. We'll assume that their communication is bestial at best. They growl and hoot at each other. They don't really communicate. Come on, they're animals. Animals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> little little, little <laughs> bit worse than crude, if you ask <laughs> a little, A little bit shy of the intelligence of a squig. <laughs> The world is almost entirely covered in thick redwood-style trees, forcing the original human settlers to make their towns in the few rocky clearings they could originally find. Like most of the Imperium, they came equipped with the Jumpstart Your Colony Today 9000. Following the Warhammer 40k pattern, however, enough time has passed since those settlers arrived to the moment that we start the world building that most of the sci-fi tech is either long gone, lost, or completely broken, effectively making the general human farmers medieval-era peasants. We'll expand into tech and how it's controlled a little bit later. 
So don't, don't worry, we're getting there. Each farm has found an eternal stability, trading goods with one another. What I mean by that is that we're not going to worry about farm A trading with farm B across the street. As defined earlier... It's a functioning society. Yeah. Scaling up the economy, farmers produce food but live under the threat of these giant wolves that try to kill and eat both them and their livestock. Now, now in response to that, if you were writing a short story taking place here and you wanted to say that you were on the way from this township to this township, you know, there is a, a a carriage convoy or something from this township to this township carrying grain because of whatever reasons. That's, you know, that's the point of the smaller story is to flesh out those details. And, and you've already be- got the basics for it. Right. You already know that you know this that group the, of farmers trade. You know that right. they're agricultural yeah. base. You know that they're this. So you you have all the the clues on what tech level to make it yes. all that you just have to fill in what's actually in the in the bu- in in the bucket that the dude's carrying kind of thing right yeah, not to mention the dangers of and the dangers those yeah. those those items uh ryan isn't there a movie it it escapes me right now but there's a movie where they're like in a a horse-drawn carriage and they're traveling and like people are getting killed on the outside of the carriage but uh the person on the inside was it Witcher? That that does happen in the Witcher. That does happen in Witcher, right? Maybe that's it's a Witcher. relatively common trope. But I I think yeah. you're thinking of uh, brother just based on the context, Brotherhood, Brotherhood of, the of the Wolf. That might be it too. It, it uh, is a, is, a, is a pretty common that. trope, yeah. But yeah, but I figure you don't know, give a visual for the idea yeah. behind these wolves and the dangers of uh, crossing through the forest. Van right. Helsing. Well, Van Helsing. Yeah. Van Helsing actual werewolf yeah yeah and, and that and that's picture werewolves these giant wolves are werewolves and you know these giant wolves are threatening the farms and the farmers and the livestock of the farmers but that's because there are large wild boars that also roam the world and these would be the wolves original source of meat these also this also introduces the ability for some of our farmers to become herdsmen ranchers or hunters because they would also be going after the wild boars so we get another expansion to the economy We also expand the eternal town trading from just the individual farms around the town trading goods or the ranch livestock to those who might be gathering and trading hunted goods. Farmers could even hire hunters to protect their farms from the wolves. So you get you start to answer these different questions just by looking at the next little bit out. These hunters that are particularly skilled could harvest the fur, bones, and claws of the boars and wolves they take down, which can in turn be used to expand trade again. Hunters are not likely to be bound to a single location, kind of as Marky brought up. So you're going to have, Marky and Kevin brought up, in fact. So you're going to have the idea that there's guys that live a little bit of time in the town and then take on these semi-nomadic lifestyle where they're out in the woods constantly hunting. Or they may take longer trips deeper into the forest to get to other towns that are further out, meaning that they're going to need to either establish permanent residences, hides, or supply lines as they move. Keeping it could be the story. You you develop stories of the hunters that are keeping the the roadways clear, right? And and is that a hunter or is that a guard? And is a guard another part? Is now another function of the or is it a highwayman? (laughs) <laughs> another function a black market function <laughs> it, it, I, well we hadn't even talked about stuff like that yet there we hadn't even gotten right. to criminals yeah 
We're getting somebody there. <laughs> mentioned the legality of some of something or and the then, consequences of carrying something. I don't remember who said it just a little bit ago. And then, but like you were saying too, yeah. they're 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 semi intelligent. The wolves, yeah, are like a well, step down for Croot. So basically, you could even have roaming packs of them that are like they could also have their own hunters and they they prize hunting humans. Right, right. Or uh, are That's there horrifying. ones? Or are there ones that are smart enough to trade with humans? Is 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 interspecies trading happening way way far away from imperial prying eyes? From from right. the, the the center of the 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 imperial presence. Right. So each of these additional interactions expands the economic system, adding more people and details to the world. Each addition also creates new questions. Why do the wolves protect their territory? Human settlers. Wolves being territorial introduces a conflict. How do the farmers react? They hunt. Uh, they hire hunters. This leads us to the hunters who are probably going to need weapons. Even if they start out with either passed down technology or by making their own, at some point we have to ask whether or not their weapons are coming or where their weapons are coming from and how they're maintained. This introduces other trades and trades people to the system, be it a Fletcher who makes bows and arrows or a blacksmith who makes swords and spears. Some of the hunters who we established are harvesting resources from their kills are probably either tanning the hides themselves or trading these raw goods to people who tan, tanners, which introduces the idea that there's leather or leather workers, which can turn into, are there armorers, people who make armor for the hunters? Looking again at the example of our modern world, though, towns often don't exist in isolation, as Marky brought up. They're clustered near different places of natural resources. So on Halvik's world, trees grow extremely fast and are very dense, reaching the size of a giant redwood in as little as 50 or so years. Again, I'm just answering a question that I brought up coming up with the economy. That's it. I didn't do anything extra. I just went, I made a question. Let's answer the question. Yeah. Their bark is extremely thick, and even their deadfall, as we established in the past episode, can sprout new growth and turn into new trees overnight. This means it's often much easier to build with stone and build in places where an abundance of stone means that trees don't root as easily. Or it's easier to learn to live by working the dense trees into a sort of living structure. Borrowing again from an existing world, the treetop buildings of the Ewoks, or Robin Hood's people in Sherwood Forest in any telling of the Robin Hood story, they've got these treetop huts, you know, these big bridges between different trees. Everybody lives 150 feet off the ground. That's just what you do. That's safer, it's easier, whatever. It also means that the smaller and growing trees are going to be the easiest to harvest, both as a building material and as firewood, as a fuel. All of these additions create new layers to the economy. Some settlers harvest and work on and with stone. Some harvest and work with wood. Some might specialize in building or finding good building sites on the world. So either figuring out how to build in the trees or figuring out where these dense rock pockets are that can be turned into settlements. Each in turn trading their service or goods to others. At this point, we also see how settlements might trade with each other. Marky brought this up. A settlement that is rich in stone probably doesn't have that much land to farm because the, the ground is really rocky. So as their need to mine stone increases, they're going to need to feed more people. 
which means that they're going to need to send out more convoys. They're going to need to actively trade more. This economic system can quickly start to flesh out a cluster of towns all over a small portion of your world. Which leads to political drama between the town leadership. <laughs> That's right. It always Well, does. absolutely. Because, uh, you know... Which if, leads to black markets. Well, <laughs> Why does stone cost so say, much and my wood is so much cheaper? Say Ryan's crop is shitty because it's a drought on his side of the of the province, but Chuck's got a fucking fantastic harvest and is able to sell it, you know, and make more money. And then Marky's over here like, well, of course I'm going to sell it for more money. And then Ryan's village starves because Chuck bought all the sheep. So the what's left of Ryan's village goes to war with Chuck's village. Bam. Conflict. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like so all easy. of these, mm-hmm. all of these different little changes and systems and questions build in conflict as you grow it, which is why to me, the economy is like one of the best places to start. Group A hates group B because they're doing better. It's actually yep. a, one of the really well done parts of star Wars is the economy. Yeah. Like yeah. you can even, it's, you can find out what it costs for like the space battles. Even though you'd be like, okay, this many TIE fighters died. That's this much in galactic credits. This many how star much destroyers. Like the Death Star. Do I don't you know. Want, I don't do know. How much is the Death Star? Death Stick. Death stick. <laughs> oh. You don't want any Death Sticks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> So once the economy has grown to a few towns, other questions arises. What happens when a barter goes bad? As Chuck just brought up, as, as, as all of you guys just brought up realistically, the conversation you just had. Two men enter, one man leaves. That's what happens. <laughs> or when another conflict like theft happens. What about murder or conquest? What governs all these towns? In this way, the economic system leads us to address questions about laws and governance. Since the world is called Halvik's world, there's an easy answer to who's in control, the Halvik clan or its descendants. What they trade is time, protection, and the enforcement of law and order. For those services, they take a tax or a tithe of all abundant goods. Abundant goods refers to a percentage that would come from the people that have an abundance over-fulfilling their needs which would affect how much a person paying this tax would have available to barter. So if you produce, say you need 16 loaves of bread to survive the year, but your farm can produce 20 loaves of bread, and then the tithe is three loaves of bread. Well, you only have one loaf of bread left over that you can use to potentially gain any sort of personal wealth, any sort of advancement, any sort of continuation of existence. And that's how a tithe or a tax in its very basics works. The controlling body that is providing the overall service to all of the towns decides what that percentage is. This is an easily exploitable arrangement, allowing the Halviks to exploit the economics of the world to build their personal wealth much faster than anybody else can. They also control the remaining technology. In this case, in the form of knights, advanced weapons, and other machines, which make oh. mining and forestry much easier. Again, this is just a decision I came to. They, well, they have yeah. total sense, especially with how the 40K world works. Right. 
that that colony ship had some knights. The Halvik house has some knights. But it also means that they're the best equipped to deal with the massive threat that the massive threats that any people of the world might need protection to. It, say all of the wolves attack in mass, a knight's going to end that shit real fast. However, it's the act that it it's the threat that they might attack in mass that keeps people paying taxes. It's not the fact yep. that they are attacking in mass. The knights may have never gone to war. It's just the fact that they have them and they can turn that real fast. Like earthquake insurance. Exactly. <laughs> Since the world is abundant in extremely fast-growing hardwood trees, it becomes a resource that can be traded off-world. Since the trees are easier to harvest by knights with chain swords or other massive machines, the Halvex are in the best position to trade this resource off-world. Here is where the economy has grown enough and become connected to a much larger system, so minted or printed currency starts to have a place. However, that doesn't mean that bartering has been replaced. Smaller towns or more disconnected populations are still going to use a more direct barter system. Direct bartering might also be a good way to get around or completely skip tags or taxes or tithes. As soon as a minted or printed money becomes a standard of trade, it becomes easier to just not report on your actual profit of taxable goods. Once bureaucracy exists, when it's not written down, it doesn't exist. The next set of the expansion of the economy lies out the roots for the existence of black markets. That's what everybody's been waiting for. You're all good stuff. A black market is a layer of economic activity that takes place outside of government-sanctioned channels occurring under the table to let participants avoid governmental price controls or taxes. The goods and services offered in a black market can also be illegal. So a black market just isn't, how do I get warp dust? A black market might be, how do I trade bread without getting taxed? Or so how I do I hire dust. somebody and pay them under the table in food stuff? Isn't that normally like a gray market when it's like something like food without tax? And like the black market it, it, is shit that's like straight up illegal. And food without trading, tax is a trading, little different because food is like a necessity kind of thing. And it's And it's like actual... Hardcore definition, any trading under the table that lets participants avoid government controlled pricing or taxes is a black market activity by its legalist strictest definition that, yeah, that the idea of a gray market is the fact that there's a gray zone in between. Like if I'm, if in this particular case, the example we used in the, in the example we used earlier, if I wanted to trade if I had 25 guardsmen and Kevin had 25 Eldari and we just did a straight trade, that would be a gray market trade because no money changed hands, which means it can't be taxed, but it's not really a black market trade because there was no loss or gain of profit. But in an example like that, in like that's, Chuck said, that's, in 40 K great, that's not a gray market. Cause they're gray models. <laughs> that's the other reason it's a gray market trade. <laughs> If they were painted, it'd be a painted trade, <laughs> a yep. painted market trade. Um, but yeah, there, terms like black market, um, sorry, terms like underground market, gray market, white market, they can all kind of be used. But essentially, black market's the blanket, really. Yep. Demolition, at its core, man. Yep. 
At its core, a black market is just another economic system, just one that exists outside of the confines of the existing law. As soon as laws exist against murder, which is normally pretty quickly after one guy beats another guy to death with a, in a field with a rock so he can have that guy's stuff, as Kevin brought up, or theft, once again, one person wants somebody else's stuff, there's going to be those who seek to destabilize or ignore the ethics of a community. And that's why laws exist. As soon as laws exist, religion comes in as well. <laughs> it can. Yeah. Ethics and morals can praise the emperor. Some of the easiest elements to introduce into a black market are murder for hire and fencing of stolen goods. Pretty easy things that the two biggest starting ethical laws that were going to exist are going to be don't kill and don't steal. The two things that are going to be available on the earliest form of the black market are going to be, I want you to kill that guy or I stole this dude's stuff and I need to sell it without getting caught. <laughs> Those are in fact two whole guilds so, and thus quest lines in the Elder Scrolls <laughs> right. games. There is a thieves yeah. guild, exactly literally a whole thinking. guild of thieves, and there is <laughs> and an, assassin's an assassin's guild. guild. <laughs> and two people involved for one thing could go to the same black market. I stole this guy's stuff. Well, I want to hire you to go kill that guy and get my stuff back. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> and then that one dude is like, and I am the only the plot... person in the black market. I'm really confused right now. <laughs> the plot thickens. Who's paying it's me all more? the same guy, and he's just crazy. <laughs> it's like, you know what? You can keep the goods he stole. Just kill him. He's just making bank. <laughs> just one dude lost in the forest by himself. He's been eating the mess. Magic mushrooms we're going to break up later. It's just like one dude in an alleyway talking to himself. <laughs> it's one dude in like a patch of, of, of state park on one like really settled world in the Imperium <laughs> who took some shrooms and saw a gray squirrel and is like, yep. man, these are some giant wolves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he just spread the word far and wide. See, and there you go. World building, just like that. <laughs> Most of the other layers of black market rely on the rest of the laws of the world, which we haven't focused on yet. But those can easily be implied or answered by the same questions that led to the expansion of our economy. The Halvaks probably like their taxes, so not paying them is probably against the law. Trading goods on the black market means the Halvaks get no taxes and the seller keeps all the profit. They're not going to like that. The Imperium itself also has a tithe. So there's probably a pretty good chance that mandatory military service is another law forged or illegal documents either to get out of mandatory military service or get into mil mandatory military <laughs> service faster would be another good that you would find on the black market, that being forged documentation. Since the more outlying towns exist as feudal peasant communities, laws probably exist to tightly control technology, battery, and fuels, all things that might be traded easily on a black market. Here is where we could even decide if sex work is illegal, making it another portion of that black market. In fact, filling out the black market economy only further develops the system of the normal economy and the laws of the world. Each choice that we've made leads to a question or several questions, which we can either answer or choose to leave for later. To return to the sex work example, maybe it's illegal, but it has more to do with how hard it is for the population of the world to expand rather than any moral reasoning. It is seen as a responsibility that every citizen must marry and have children. So sex work is illegal, 
not because there's a moral quandary against it, but because you should be marrying and having children. And then you could Maybe even it's... flesh that out further to uh, like a cultural branch out into the cultural right. of oh, okay so since that's a thing maybe arranged marriages are a thing is it like and, you know like you imperial can creed develop all kinds of things off of that isn't the imperial creed that you know it's you have to be married no there's no. nothing in no. the imperium nothing in that. Nope. but being unwed unwed is frowned upon nope no hmm it depends on planet. It depends on the planet. It depends on the culture. It's actually fairly common for guardsmen in field uh, or in not in field in transit to field to have children with each other. And in a lot of times they don't get married there. There are um, fraternal guardsmen because essentially not fraternal guardsmen. What's the word I'm looking for? Generational guardsmen. There's a better word for it. But like my my mom and dad were guardsmen, so I'm in this regiment because my parents were in this regiment. That exists in 40k. Yeah. All I say is boo to illegal sex work. <laughs> and that's the other thing. Maybe sex work is perfectly legal, but because it's legal, it's taxed, meaning it's more profitable to do it off the books. So again, it's gone back to the black market. So Maybe it's, it's illegal. It's not sex work. It's just Thai massage. Right. Or maybe <laughs> it's been made towel massage. Sorry. <laughs> towel massage. Towel massage. <laughs> or maybe it's been made illegal because it's too hard to monitor, monetize, and tax. So mm-hmm. it's probably that in Papa Nurgle. That's why it's probably <laughs> right. usually illegal. We can't talk about black markets without talking about the two big things that everyone has probably had on their mind. Weapons and drugs. <laughs> With murder being illegal and the Halvex controlling their population through restricting technology, it's safe to assume nothing past rifled black powder guns are made by citizens living outside whatever castles or large cities exist and control the world. Uh, Without could, advanced weapons, could you imagine and armor rifled barrel inspections? <laughs> How petty the house would have to be to do that. That's <laughs> uh, true, right? You don't Without need advanced... rifling if the wolf's in your house, <laughs> right? <laughs> Black powder weapons—they're relatively easy to make. It's very common in the 40k universe. Oh, I mean, yes. it's essentially well, that, a tiny that, cannon. You take yeah, a piece of pipe, you put an end cap on one end, you drill a tiny yep. little hole for a pilot hole, you pack it with powder, you pack it with a thing, and, and then, then you, you light the hole, off. potato gun style, and congratulations, you now have a hand cannon. Strap it to a piece of wood, now you've got a shoulder. <laughs> the reason that firearms and firearms being armaments that use fire to propel something took so long to develop is because coming up with the black powder recipe took a long time. The and developmental cycle as well. Yeah, and the and and the metal being able to contain the blast. But the 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 cycle between we have a firearm that fires something and we have rifled firearms is comparatively short. It was not that long. It, it wasn't even, it was it's basically as soon as we got gunpowder, we got guns because we already had figured out metallurgy at that point. Yeah. As soon as we had muskets, 
There, there was there was the span of like two or three wars before rifled muskets were a thing. A it wasn't a span it, before of it was hundreds of years. And then yeah, it was being it used was, by marksmen before. And then it was what two hundred years later they had automatic. Yeah, they had developed automatics. I and mean, that took longer. They had revolving semi-automatics in the eighteen hundreds. Right. But basically the point is a rifled black powder firearm is not super advanced. And the Halvics are going to control that. Like, okay, great. You know, you've got the equivalent of an 1880s, uh, 1860s American Revolution rifle. Cool, we don't care. You have the equivalent of an M4A1. Now we're interested in where the fuck that came from. Because there is a no, I really don't. I lost massive a jump. <laughs> Wait, you have a boat? <laughs> do you have a permit for that boat, son? No, I lost that in the boating accident. Listen, do you lost have a permit for losing things in boating ac- to the dungeons? <laughs> lost it in a canoe accident. In a canoe accident. <laughs> so without advanced weapons and armor, it would be very easy to put down a peasant revolt armed with black powder weapons. However, since there is a mandatory military service, most of the registered peasantry is going to know about las guns and auto guns. Weapons that are illegal to buy, but maybe not strictly illegal to own, since a retired guardsman might be allowed to keep their weapons, as an example. Those advanced weapons hold a few desirable functions. They're more efficient against the wolves, or your snotty-ass neighbor. They are easier to maintain, as nobody has to make them by hand, and they are potentially effective tool against any form of higher authority. And this is, is actually a trick of control of higher authority, is making you believe that a las gun will actually do something against a knight. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, is that an oxymoron, a retired guardsman? Hey, no, hey, no, that ask, happens. Ask it Tom happens every once in a while how he feels about last guns against his knights. Because <laughs> there's been one guard. It, it is a state of propaganda. That, <laughs> it's just, it's the, it's the, it's the similar idea that like my shotgun collection is going to stop a hellfire missile. There is a system of control by a governing body where we're going to control your firearms, even if they're really not that dangerous in this concept or this idea that we don't want you to threaten us, even though we have spaceships that can shoot lasers that destroy your entire fucking planet. Like, you can't have more than a black powder weapon because you threaten our governmental control. But we have knights. <laughs> like, wait, what? How does yeah. a las gun affect this at all? It's just more of that fear. It's more of that control. In the answer to your question, Marky, yes, there are retired guardsmen. We all know how everybody says what's six months of travel in the warp for 13 minutes before you die on the battlefield. That's right. So when you get to minute 15, you're retired, baby. There, there, there have been some novels where there are retired guards. I forget which one it's one that I read. And it's a retired medic. There's actually a lot of retired guardsmen, especially everywhere. in the novelization. Yeah. They're, they're like everywhere. Because often there isn't enough that survived that it's worth the cost of transporting them somewhere else. Yeah. That they're like, okay, lot- you are now 
colonists, not guardsmen. Yep. Congratulations. <laughs> You've that. been upgraded. A lot of times they retire and they become like officers in the P- in the PDF force. Considering that they were probably civilians before they were drafted anyways. So you could be like a sergeant that retires and all of a sudden you go back to your home planet and they're like, do you want to serve in the PDF? Now you're an officer. Uh, Sebastian huh. Yarek grew up raised by his uh, retired uh, guard grandpa or uncle. Uh, uncle. Uncle, yeah. There's an entire short story in the Magos, which is a collection of stories that bridge some of the storyline things between the Eisenhorn and Ravener books, where they are investigating a um, what looks to be a chaos cult incursion on a hive world. That's and the one with the birds. No. That's, no? that's the Ravener books, the Shrieks. Because I strikes. think that's where I'm thinking of that guardsman's in those books. He is in those books. There's a met. The there's a medic. there's a retired Medike who joins Ravener's warband. Yep. Um, okay. But this this entire storyline deals with Eisenhorn tracking down what's happening, and what they find out is that it is not a chaos cult. It is a bunch of retired guardsmen who have advanced forms of PTSD who don't realize that the war is over. So they are murdering people that they Ooh. think are chaos cultists. It's a really, really well done and kind of creepy psychological story because like you believe reading the whole thing, these chaos cultists are killing these people and then carving the symbols into them. And what's really happening is the guardsmen are the, the retired guardsmen are hallucinating. And in, you know, in the process of committing murder, essentially they're making the bodies look the way that the things that they killed looked. Essentially, it also introduces the idea that there are consequences to war in 40k, which is not often seen in novels outside of guardsmen based stories. You know, how do space marines deal with the psychological toll of fighting for 10,000 years would be they don't interesting. They have no fear, they they don't. (laughs) It's chemically, it's chemically erased from their minds. What, like step one of psycho indoctrination? Isn't yeah, it true. space recreation? Psycho indoctrination is like one uh, of the first three things that happens. I it it is, but I think I think there are cases of space marines being like, "What the fuck have I done? Like, oh, what am I, I doing? I'm what sure, type of monster am I? I'm sure there's space. They're marines. called salamanders. <laughs> wow, I mean, whiny little bitches. No, I'm, I'm sure there's. <laughs> I'm just trying to get I'm Mark sure to like flip me off or something at this point. That do like kind of question, you know, like the their existence the efficacy of what they're doing and it's not even the efficacy of like killing it's more just like the the their existence in general like as a as a trans marines no not even just that just just in general i'm pretty sure there's um pretty sure there's a book that i just question their existence there's a book that i read called the Requiem, I think, which is all about, uh, it's about a Blood Angels chapter, like Splinter, not Splinter, successor chapter. That's the word I was looking for. And one of the characters is a Marine who's essentially retired. He he has chosen no longer to like actively participate in warfare, and he has to kind of come out of it for the needs of the story, if I recall correctly. Honestly, I've read so much Age of Sigmar yeah. stuff recently there's, that it may have been a Sigmarite priest that I'm thinking of. Well, but essentially like that the story resolved around like somebody who is a career indoctrinated warrior realizing like I need to be 
a positive effect rather than a, an, a, a death dealer. Yes, that's the thing with like marine stories. When Worf you know, becomes a farmer. Bu- yeah, they they build they build up how marines are all the time, but it's like when you read some of the Horace Heresy novels, yeah. the earlier ones are short stories. What's really interesting is there's space wolves and there's dark angels. They're like, we don't have to kill everything. Like you need to take a step back. We don't need to, we don't need to do it like this. Take a step back, son and breathe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yet the younger ones are all pumped up, ready to go. You know, this, this is Marines have already been fighting for 300 years. Right. They're like, we need to handle it different. And it's always the younger ones are like, F that we're going, we're, we're going all Whole in. ham boy. Yeah. So to get back to the reason that weapons would be traded on the black market, another reason that weapons would be traded on the black market is as we laid out in that past episode, Halvex world is at least in part also a penal colony, which means uh. that it contains many different penal uh, I don't know, harvesting centers, <laughs> whatever you would call lumber mills. That's what I was looking for. So uh, more advanced, like I believe these are called yeah. labor camps. Labor camps. Thank you. So advanced weaponry might also be sought after as it would be seen as protection against those serving sentences on the world. Drugs have a wide variety of uses in Warhammer 40k, not all of them being resigned to the confines of Slanish's favorite recreational pastimes. But they all lead to that. But they all lead to that, though. <laughs> but they all get there eventually. Combat drugs often serve many purposes. While we often focus on the ones that make a subject more aggressive, violent, or harder to kill, they can also just as easily keep a subject awake or functioning at a high capacity for longer. Desirable effects for hunters or those who are working in the lumber yards. Being awake and focused longer can mean a better haul and more efficiency, more money. You get paid more if you do more. There is also the trade in combat drugs to make you a better killer either as an assassin or in illegal gladiator pits. And again, we talked about assassination being one of the four first things of available in a black market. I just added another thing, illegal gladiatorial pits. So there's obviously wow. people having gladiatorial fights for profit and money, which is going to spawn its own economy based on betting around it, all of which exists in the black market. Ryan, None of that's above here board. Fucking up rule number one. What? No gladiator pit? Don't talk about gladiator pits. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> is, rule, is rule number two, don't talk about gladiator pits? Yeah, obviously you don't talk about gladiator pits. <laughs> rule number three, gladiator pits will go on as long as they have to. Yep. <laughs> there is also pain management and self-medication. Another, meti- another method of control is going to be Halvuk's ability to restrict access to advanced or even decent medical care. But again, those who serve or know of those who have served will know that advanced Medicaid care exists. Guardsmen are going to talk. People who did a couple of tours in the PDF but never made guardsmen are going to talk about the fact that they had much better dental and health at one point. Training for painkillers and even things as simple as antibiotics might be regulated to the black market more because of their absence, more because of the absence of infrastructure or artificially state-sponsored inflated pricing. So they may either have to go get antibiotics from the black market because pharmacies charge way too much. That totally doesn't happen in the United States at all. 
Never. It's not the subject of many Netflix shows and specials about people going to Mexico to buy antibiotics. That's never been talked about. Or it may be that there is no medical infrastructure that exists in the towns. So people turn to the black market to trade for these things because they just don't exist. And that also doesn't happen in the United States. In that case, we kind of get to that like gray market area. Is the household buying antibiotics because there is no doctor really engaging in the black market? Well, yes, technically. But really... Is is Halvik going to come after them for breaking some law? Probably not. They're probably going to be like, eh, whatever, we're, we're not even going to investigate this. It was antibiotics. Then, of course, we have Chuck's favorite, recreational drugs, some of which might be natural substances deemed illegal that occur in the forest themselves, such as marijuana, mushrooms, and other psychedelics, as well as the trade and what might exist in naturally occurring poisons used either for killing or pest control. So there could be or naturally occurring yeah, things that you might use to kill people as well. Death sticks. How much for a death stick? Yep, good old black market. And that's where all your cults and gangs come from. Yep, or guilds. You know, especially on a peasant world, you're going to have more, you know, hunters, uh, um, thieves guild, assassins guild. You might have an alchemist's guild that specially trades. And again, black market stuff doesn't have to just be antibiotics and recreational drugs. It doesn't even have to just be the drugs that we talked about, but it could also be the stuff that we know that exists here. Like You forgot you know, about uh, Clan Cletus smuggling that illegal shine. It could literally be, <laughs> right? literally be yeah. uh, Barter Town. Or it could be powdered, um, you know, powdered tiger oh, testicles make oh. you last longer in bed, which is something you know yeah all you have to really do is dip into stuff again that really exists like the weird supplements and shit that people buy you know the in other countries buy, buy this yeah buy well in this country it through can, other it, countries yeah this pill will B2. make your dick bigger yep you know it could essentially be too you know we're talking a feudal world mm-hmm. so it's gonna be your like like we were talking about medicines that aren't readily available Yep. So there's that, there's the drugs, there's the weapons, and essentially all the things you don't need that aren't going to be provided at a normal trade store. Right. Yeah, anything yeah. the government doesn't deem you need. So say you yeah. say you are highly say say your service in the PDF introduced you to books, you became highly academic in your pursuit of knowledge you're now trading on the black market for books and lights because your village doesn't have generators and power supply so more candles yeah and people don't read you know that the education level is a third grade education level as far as like reading comprehension you can read the things that the halvik you know uh, uh enforcers come and post on the bounty board in town but the idea of reading an entire book or, you know, getting into obscure law or something is not something that you're going to comprehend that normal people comprehend. So because it's not readily available and because it's probably controlled, you have to go outside to get it. And again, I, I think you had just brought this up that this introduces your gangs and stuff. You get your or any form of organized crime is going to come up around this. And 
to give an idea of organized crime, you know, look at the definition of organized crime in the United States. Organized crime just means that there was an organized method to move around a law by multiple people. So whether or not it sounds silly or not, that book buyer I just outlined may have gone to an organized crime syndicate whose entire purpose is just to get books and establish libraries. That might be the crime that that organized crime. And to us, that seems ludicrous. Like everybody has access to books, but dip back into world history to the 1930s and 40s. There were countries in Europe that were not allowing people to read books and reading certain books could get you killed. So the idea of having to trade for books because they're illegal is really not that far off even from just our normal historical experience. What was the other one? Uh, I think it was equilibrium. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, anything that gave you emotion was a capital offense. Yeah. Became uh, punishable. That was actually a pretty cool movie. Such a, such a strange interesting cult. Yeah. What's up? That would cause a Slanesh cult. One hundred I mean, yeah, sensation. That's essentially, right? any sensation. That's <laughs> like I said. That's what it all comes back to. That's all comes what back that to movie Slanish, was essentially. Baby. That's what happens. He I joins mean, the Slanish cult and then takes down the imper- local imperial government. They they <laughs> just went in the opposite direction, but it's still Slanesh. To feel no emotion at all is to the extreme. Yeah, it's it's a level extreme, of perfection. Still yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's the thing that's crazy about the. The chaos gods. And and even that, like, again, it it's the reason that I go with the first system that I like to look at is the economy is because I can even give economic examples for why the four chaos gods operate with one another and the conflicts that exist because everything feeds, every action feeds the chaos gods in a different way. That feeding is a service and a good at the same time that essentially makes that chaos god more powerful. So It's an abstract way of looking at it. The major point is you can start with two towns on opposite sides of the river that each need the good that the other town has abundance and they need to trade. And that can be as simple as starting your map. You know, if you're, if you're into world building, you you're into drawing maps, there you go. There are your first two pieces and you just expand out from there. So with this approach to world building, you can start to build out a template of questions, each that have answers that can uncover the next question in the chain, even while helping to fill out your overall design. Every time we answered a question and came up with more questions as we went through this stuff, we got another chunk of information and we got another question that we wanted to ask. In some cases, some of the questions that we asked, these guys brought to me as we were talking about it. So it wasn't the stuff that we had talked about in our pre-production and in our script building, it was stuff that came up from actively talking about it in person. And that's the beauty of starting, or to me, that's the beauty of starting in world building, is the fact that you can just do this organic process, whether it's with yourself or with a group of people. We will be returning to Halvik's world in the future as we look at several other tools within world building, filling it out as we explore the other topics that exist in this tool set. Did we inspire you to either start a new world or dust off one that you put on the shelf? Let us know by getting into contact with us about the show. We also love when you guys share your own short stories, lore, and spooky dookies with us. You can reach out to us by email at underthehiveofmadness at gmail.com or jimdarkgaming at gmail.com. 
or join our community on Discord. There we chat about our episodes, the lore we're developing for the Carcosin sector, places like the Hel- like Helvex world, the lore, the hobby, and the tactics of 40k in general, plus Age of Sigmar, Warhammer Fantasy Battle, creative writing in other ways, video games, role-playing, and so much more. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and at www.underthehiveofmadness.com. Like and review us wherever you get your podcast fix. Our home is Spotify and Anchor FM, but we are also on Apple, Google, Audible, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and many more. You can support us through Patreon at www.patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. Patreon members get access to video podcasts with minimal editing so you can see our beautiful faces along with what we are looking at on screen while hearing our bloopers in real time. All Patreon levels also get access to our quarterly painting contest. Plus, we have perks at higher levels, so I really encourage you to go on over and check it out. Come on down to Bexy's Flack and Jack, the Underhive's number one and only stop for all the best entertainment, no matter which way your aspects pings. Remember, when the fourth shift whistle blows on Tuesdays, Four Creds gets you a double hive rat burger and a 22 ounce of arrogant grot fungi ale. Mmm. We are everything your mama warned you about. The Lost Souls of Audio Assault Acoustic Mayhem, 665.66 UHMR Chemrat Radio. Reminding all of you Chemrats, Hive Mice, and Sump Ghoulies to keep those dials fixed. Right here, same ratty frequency for a dose of the same ratty-ass attitude. When you find yourself in the company of a forearmed emperor, remember, you are crunchy and tasty. Good with ketchup. Ha <laughs> ha.